We need to be ones who bring the blessing. And actually, I actually wonder if blessing the unblessed will be a key weapon of warfare for you as you think about how you do mission, how you operate in your workplaces, how you operate in your communities where you live, as you gather and do church community things as well. Um, and so it's just this sense of um, keep returning to your identity in Christ and keep modelling this. And I really believe this is going to be a game changer in, in this next season of life for you as this church grows and flourishes. So I just submit that to you all to pray about, think about. Hopefully that's encouraging. Um, anything you want to say, babe? I think God spoke to me a while ago about the power of our words and sort of blessing and curse. And, okay, we might not literally be cursing, but our words, sometimes even if you say something flippantly, the power that it has and sort of the negative power but the positive power. And if we've got the Spirit of God in us and the words, I mean, God used words to create this world. So our words can create and create life. So how do we, what does it look like to bless our family? are the people who annoy us, uh, our colleagues, in all sorts of different situations, what's it look like to bring words of life and blessing? And by the way, we really like you all. We decided we like you. <laughs> You're very nice, so well done. You passed, just say to your neighbour, well done, you passed the test. <laughs> so we, we, yes, thumbs up, well done. Uh, we've really enjoyed being with you these past... 48 hours or so, whatever it is. Uh, so we love you all and really just think this is a fabulous church and a great community. Great. So we've had so much fun and great conversations. So thank you, everyone, for that. Um, okay, a little story. This is from a theologian called Craig Keener. He says this. Imagine visiting a town at night that appears to have no lights, no televisions, not even alarm clocks. And then imagine learning that the town's power supply is virtually infinite, but that no one in the town had thought to turn any of their electrical appliances on. Wouldn't that town seem like a silly place to you? Yet the church is all too often like that town. God has given us the power of his spirit to fulfill his mission in the world, yet few Christians have even begun to depend on his power. Good little illustration, isn't it? So today we want to talk with you about being filled with the spirit. If you get your handouts out, you can follow along. Hannah's going to... I've got another analogy for you. Um, we live in California, and as you probably know, there are lots of wineries, lovely wineries in California, and we visited several, on several different occasions. And it's interesting when you get to see the actual vines at the winery. And we've seen those vines in various different states. States, what I mean is, you know, they look different, and they're different sort of stages of the life cycle almost. And sometimes you go, and there are no leaves on them, they've just been pruned, and they're basically about this high, and they're sort of gnarled, brown, ugly pieces of wood. There's nothing particularly beautiful about them. Uh, there are other times you go, and it's sort of like that, there's a few green shoots, you think, oh great, there's some life coming, there's some life happening. Sometimes you go, and actually the leaves are big, and you can see the tiny, tiny little grapes, and you just, you just know what's to come. And then at other times you go, and it's lush, and there's got the leaves, but then you've got these big, you know, bunches of grapes, which you're almost tempted to go and, and pick or whatever. And um, I, th I think, I don't know whether you would resonate in terms of the analogy of where you are in life. So do you feel as though you've just been pruned, that life's bare and ugly, 
and uh, not you know not great, or do you uh, feel that there you know there are little signs of life? There's little greens, little green leaves, and there's there's glimpses of things happening. Or maybe you you feel you're in a place where actually you can see the beginnings of fruit being formed. There's lots of leaves. You're not bearing fruit, but you can see it's about to come. Or maybe you're in that season where actually you're bearing loads of fruit. You've got loads of bunches of beautiful grapes on you, figuratively speaking. And I think all of those stages are normal and a part of life that we're going to go through at some point. And the John 15 analogy is, of course, that he is the vine and we are the branches. And pruning is going to happen. But the important thing that keeps us alive and that sort of produces that fruit is the sap. The sap that is coursing through the, those, um, you know, those old gnarled pieces of wood. Even though it looks like nothing's happening, there is sap going through. And so we're going to find ourselves at different seasons, but the key to it all is the sap of the Holy Spirit. You know, just him coursing through our veins and wherever we are, um, we need him and we need the sap of the Holy Spirit. Got a couple of quotes for you. We'd say the church today needs God's presence more than anything. Pastor and author John Stott said, what we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, even though the gift of organization and administration is very important, but we don't always need it. But what we need is power from the Holy Spirit. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann wrote, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the greatest and most wonderful thing that we can experience. And Billy Graham said, the greatest need today is for men and women who know Jesus Christ as Savior to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we're sinning against God. That was interesting that Billy Graham said that. But we would say we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the sin, the hurdles. If we're in those dry seasons, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to get through those seasons. But we need the Holy Spirit to produce fruit, to produce life in our places of work, in our places of mission. We have to have the Holy Spirit pointing us and showing us and bringing life to those situations. Uh, we'd say the church has substituted the presence of God with programs, progress, proficiency, and practices. And of course, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of those. We need good programs. We need good practices. But they are means and to a much greater end, which is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So I think, you know, when, we, when we're doing those things, which are good to do, remember, those aren't the goal in themselves. Great Bible studies are wonderful, but that's not the goal. The goal is to encounter Jesus in a fresh and living way. And so to say the Holy Spirit is like the oxygen or like the lifeblood of the church. That sap, if you will, should be coursing through each one of us. And we need to learn to depend on, so that's what we were talking about yesterday, listening to his voice. But we have to, in every way, depend on him and lean in him on him and encounter the presence of God. In some ways, we're a bit heretical on this topic because how can we totally understand this mighty living God who created the whole heavens and earth and he comes to live inside each one of us and yet he allows us to have this free will. He doesn't completely overtake us so that we have no decision-making. It's this amazing thing um, that, uh, that, yeah, that he chooses to do. Okay, we're going to look at a Bible text that's printed on your handouts, or you can look it up on your phone or whatever if you want to do that. So in Acts chapter 8, verses 14, 17, and here we just see some of the very first tentative steps by the early church to go beyond their fellow Jews. And so they're now reaching the Gentiles, which is good for all of us. This is part of how we all got reached. So 
here we go. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. By the way, when we hear Samaria, we're meant to go kind of boo-hiss because they're the baddies. So if you, it's a kind of quite a radical thing that they went to Samaria. Uh, and they, they heard that the Samaritans had accepted the word of God. Wow, goodness me. They sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we have this pioneer chap, Philip, who went to Samaria. Uh, as we said, the Jews thought the Samaritans as, as the enemies of the people of God, which is why the parable of the Good Samaritan was so shocking for the initial hearers. Um, and then it turns out the Samaritans are actually wide open to the message of Jesus. And they're really hungry, and many come to faith, and there's many healings, many deliverances taking place. Uh, in fact, what is so amazing, a local sorcerer called Simon gets converted, and, and, and so Peter and John are dispatched from Jerusalem. Just, just as an aside, if you think about the circles you mix in, where's Samaria for you? Like, who are the folks? You just think, oh, they're never going to come to Jesus. Well, that's a place where I could never be open as a Christian. I need to be, like, hidden as a Christian. So just think, and I, I just want to gently challenge you and think, maybe actually that could turn out to be a place of amazing opportunity. Um, so just be, just be brewing on that one. So Peter and John dispatched from Jerusalem. They see that many people are coming to faith, and they begin praying that the locals might receive the Holy Spirit, which they do. And, of course, the Spirit must have done wonderful things because if we go further on in the story, we're not going to read it today, Simon the sorcerer gets converted and he wants to pay money to Peter and John. He's like, I want this gift. How do I pray for people who feel the Spirit as well? Because he misunderstands how it works. Um, but clearly there's something very impressive happening when it happened. But here's this key phrase, verse 17. It says, when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. And what we take from that is that uh, just to be believers in Jesus is not enough. There's even more that God has for us, and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is vital to go deeper in Christ, to journey through life, to go out his, as his witnesses, whether we live, work, study, or play. Uh, think of the defining moment where Jesus is baptized, and you have this, the Holy Spirit falls upon him in the form of a dove. And if Jesus, the way to think about it, another way to think about it is this, Jesus is the God-man. So he's 100% divine and 100% human all at the same time. And yet on earth, he ministers out of his spirit-filled humanity. In other words, he doesn't stop being God, but the way he ministers out of his spirit-filled humanity, which is why he is a model for us. If he operated out of his divinity, we would admire it, but he wouldn't be a model because we don't have that, that divine nature. Um, and so if Jesus absolutely needs to be spirit-filled to enjoy fellowship with the Father and to be empowered to serve him on earth, how much more do we need that same spirit-filling? Okay, so I've got a story for you from a friend of ours called Janine, and this is about her experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what she writes, she says, While I'd grown up in church, I was not familiar with being filled with the Holy Spirit, but I was ready for a deeper walk with the Lord. When asked if there was something I would like prayer for, I eagerly said yes, or if this was something I'd like prayer for. The women praying for me told me several things I could expect, being slain in the spirit and immediate speaking tongues, but I had a sense that that would not be my story. I was new to the things pertaining to the spirit, and I knew the Lord would be gentle with me. The women laid hands on me, prayed, and I left. 
Nothing extraordinary happened, and I went on with my day. A few weeks later, however, I was thinking back on this experience and realising that things had indeed been changing for me. I'm not by nature someone who is overly friendly. I would always use self-checkout at the grocery store in order to talk to fewer people, and I couldn't understand wanting to hear about a stranger's day. All of a sudden, though, I found that I was quite literally a nicer person. Not only was I trying not to avoid people in public, but I was actually going out of my way to talk to them and genuinely caring about what they had to say. I'd never been a very emotional person, but now I find myself weeping during worship, amazed at the goodness of God. I was in boldness to pray for people all of the time. It was as if the Holy Spirit was finally able to produce visible fruit in me. He was creating in me something that was so much kinder and gentler than I had ever been. While I'm certainly far from where I want to be, I'm more aware of who I'm called to be, and I'm more equipped to become that with the power of the Holy Spirit. For me, being filled with the Spirit changed everything. And I think sometimes you think about all these things that we've been talking about these this weekend, whether it's the gifts of the Spirit or hearing from God or being filled with the Holy Spirit, and you see the biblical examples, or sometimes you hear other stories of, wow, it's this big stories, big signs and wonders. And, and when that doesn't happen to you, you think, oh, well, it's not going to happen to me. But actually, I love this story because I think actually the majority of the time, it's simple, it's actually quite calm, it's quite sort of low-key, but it, it, the Spirit is moving and He is using us and He is working. So it's interesting how the Bible tells us that we receive, the, every one of us who is a Christian receives the Holy Spirit when we become a Christian. So that's salvation, it says... Ephesians uh, 1, 13 and 14. When you believe, so when you became a Christian, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. So we get a little seal, a little deposit of the Holy Spirit. However, it's interesting, there are multiple times throughout the New Testament where it talks about additional and even fresh fillings. So it's not even once. So you have, we have the Acts 2, the classic Pentecost story where the Holy Spirit comes and dramatic things happen. You know, they speak in tongues and they prophesy and loads of people come to faith. There's another time in Acts 4. So Peter and John have been preaching the gospel. They are thrown into jail. They're hauled before the Sanhedrin and told not to preach in his name again. And then they go back to the disciples and um, they say what's happened and they pray and they pray for the very thing that got, that got them into prison in the first place, which is boldness. So if it were me, I'd be praying for protection, you know, smite my enemies, whatever it is. They just pray for boldness. That's all they pray for. And the Holy Spirit falls again. So these are the same people who the Holy Spirit has already fallen on, but it's another time. It says, Acts 4, verse 31, After the disciples prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So again, it's not talking about signs and wonders so much as being bold. Um, Acts 13, we've got Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And the word of God is spreading through Galatia, but persecution, of course, is stirred up in the next town. And in verse 52 of Acts 13, it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So this seems to be a recurring theme where they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the mark this time is joy. Uh, Acts 19, verses 1 to 6, there in Ephesus, Paul visits the believers in Jesus who'd not yet heard of the Holy Spirit. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So again, he's almost saying being a Christian is not enough. You have to have the Holy Spirit. That's the thing that's going to bring the life and make the difference. 
So here's an illustration to help you with this. So what some people say is being filled with the Spirit is, is we're like a cup. And so you fill up a cup and you get all the way to the top and then it's full. So either it's full or it's, it's not full. So how can you put more in when the cups fill up? Okay, so that's, that's the analogy people give. I want to say false analogy, all right? So a better analogy is a balloon. So with a balloon, so I want to... I'm just going to... Just blow a bit. Okay, so look at this balloon. Is that balloon full of air? Yes or no? Yes, it is. So it's full of air. But... I can make it more full of air. Is that full of air? Okay. How about that? Is that full of air? Okay. So this is a bit of a picture of what, what God wants to do in our lives. There is room for more in our lives. There's room for more of the Spirit to come into us. And obviously I could keep blowing in there. Now, here's the thing. What happens is as we go through life... You maybe you go to um, you go to work this week and it's Tuesday afternoon and you get to have this really cool Jesus conversation with a colleague at work and maybe even get to pray with a colleague. So you're giving out, you're giving out of, um, you're serving and okay, a bit of air goes out and then perhaps later in the day you get home and you have a bit of an argument with with a friend or with your spouse, okay, because you're tired. <laughs> And here's what happens. We leak. We leak the Holy Spirit. Sometimes as we serve and sometimes when we do dumb stuff, which is why we need to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So, um, so I think the balloon is a better picture there of, of how the Spirit works in our lives. There's this phrase that theologians quite often use. They talk about one baptism with many feelings. Sorry, fillings, feelings. One baptism with many fillings. That's how it's meant to, meant to work. Um, and so uh, we're, we're called into this sense of... So here's another way to think about it, another analogy. Um, who ate dinner on Thursday? Most people have dinner on Thursday, just raise their hand, probably. Probably ate, ate some food on Thursday, unless you were choosing to fast or something. So Thursday you had dinner, but, and, and the nutrients went into your body. The, what you don't do is go, oh, I had dinner on Thursday, I don't need to eat anymore. Because we're like, okay, that was good for then, but I need fresh nutrients for today, which is why you have, we have breakfast today and so on. So I think the same way it's like that with the Spirit. We, he gives us life. He, he puts nutrients into us. We get empowered. We get energy. But we need to kind of keep on coming back to the source. We're not meant to run on you know, batteries that are disconnected from God's power supply. So Hannah, why don't you um, just talk about... Ephesians Yeah, so you'll see a scripture on your sheets. It says, so Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So let's unpack that a bit. So grammatically, be filled is this present imperative passive, which means, so the present tense is something that's happening now, and it's almost on an ongoing basis. So it would be more literal to say, keep on being filled. This is something we need to keep on being doing. It's present. We need it now, not yesterday or tomorrow. The passive is it's something that's done to us. So we do have some control, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit who chooses to come and fill us. Uh, And then the imperative. So this is something we have to do. Let's do this, guys. Come on. Uh, So almost like a command. We're commanded to pursue this and be filled um, on a daily, weekly, hourly, whatever it is, uh, minute by minute basis. So in some ways, a more accurate translation might be 
keep allowing yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're reminded uh, that alcohol, when, uh, and sometimes called spirits as well, when alcohol, when we have consume too much, it impacts our thinking. We think we can do way more than we can. It shapes our actions if we have too much alcohol to drink. And it causes us to do things that we would not normally do. So Paul says, don't let alcohol shape your thoughts and behavior like that. Instead, let the Holy Spirit shape your thoughts and behavior. So let the Holy Spirit dominate your thoughts and your actions. And let the Holy Spirit cause you to do things that you would not normally do in your own strength. So there's another quote here called um, by this amazing guy called Hans Urs von Balthasar in a book that he wrote on prayer. And it says, the Holy Spirit implants the mind of the Son of God into our hearts so that we may fashion our lives accordingly. So again, I quite like that. It's about us revolving around him and fashioning ourselves around him. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so, you know, God give, loves to give us the Holy Spirit. If we come to him and ask him, say, Lord, fill me afresh, he loves to pour out his Spirit upon us. And so we would say that every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but not everybody is filled with the Holy Spirit, and we need to keep asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to practice this now. So I want you to stand up, find someone you don't know very well. Stand up, super quick, find someone you don't know very well. You've got... 10 seconds. Find someone you don't know very well. 10, 9. If you need a person, raise a hand. 8, 7, 6. Get into pairs. Get into pairs. Raise a hand if you need a partner. Okay, raise a hand if you need a partner. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Everyone got a partner? Yes? We all good? Everyone good? All right. So we're going to do the usual drill. But this time it's going to be a different question. So we'll be quiet for 30 seconds. In the 30 seconds, you're going to ask Jesus a question for, about your partner. Like we were saying, we'd encourage you, generally, just go with the first one in this kind of spirit of practice so you don't spend ages fretting about your response. The key thing is the why. The why is where it gets interesting. All right. So we'll be quiet. In these 30 seconds, you're asking Jesus this. Jesus, if uh, my partner here was a superhero, which superhero would they be and why? If my partner's a superhero, which superhero would they be and why? The one who looks at the pair of you, the one who looks most like a bank robber can go first. (laughs) 
10 more seconds. 10 seconds. Okay, let's come back together. Hannah and I were just looking at you all saying, there was a lot of smiles in this room as you all discussed. Lots of laughter. It was Lots lovely. Of laughter. So that, I hope you enjoyed that. And that was an encouraging exercise. So it's very good. So it's good. This is fun. And as you can see, we can just play with these things, have a bit of fun with it. And we just gently take another step closer to the Lord and learn how to exercise these gifts. Uh, let me tell you a story. So I play soccer or football as we have trained you now to understand as the real football. Uh, so I play a couple of times a week with a whole load of guys where we are in Long Beach. And there's one guy who's a very mouthy Italian who comes. And uh, we all know his opinions. He's definitely not saved by his lifestyle. And he, you know, he, we not hear about... Not that you're judging him, of course. Not that I'm judging him, but, <laughs> but I am. Um, so, so anyway, one day... Um, we get near the end of the game and he goes off to sit on the sideline and, and I just feel like the spirit draws my attention to this. And that's one of the things we've learnt, Hannah and I have learnt to realise, isn't it? So just go on, you can say about that. Well, it's on. interesting. You know, we were talking yesterday about, you know, what is God speaking? And sometimes he uses words and sometimes he doesn't. It's like the spirit's just resting on something. You think, oh. So like Moses, when he was attracted to the, to the burning bush, he is, it's like he saw something. He said, that's weird. I'm going to go over and look. And it's like something, sometimes we catch things almost from the, the sort of our periphery and we think, mm, I think there's something going on here. And so that's how we pay attention. We're not even quite sure what it is. We might not hear anything or sense anything, but there's, there's something in sort of our spiritual radar going on. So that's where we lean in and we pay attention. We say, okay, God, is that you? What's going on? La -da -da. So good. Uh, really well put. So, um, so I go over to Fab and say, hey, Fab, what's, what's going on? He says, oh, my back's playing up. It's really painful. And he's had back issues in the past. And so he's talking away about his back and how painful it is he's had to stop. And as he's saying this, I can hear the Holy Spirit saying to me, are you going to pray for him? And I'm kind of ignoring the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, are you going to pray for him? And uh, are you going to pray for him? And I'm like, Lord, I'm talking to my friend. You're being very rude here. You know? um, so, so eventually I go, Fab, this might sound crazy, but you know, I'm a Christian. Sometimes I've seen Jesus heal people when we've prayed for them, particularly for backs. Could I, could I pray for you? And he says nothing. He just stares at me, which is most unlike him. And uh, I go, oh, come on, Fab, you're a tan and you must be up for a bit of Jesus something. So he goes, all right then. So it's kind of like grumpy at this point. So I, I go over and I just, I'll just show you. Like we'll do. So I just put a hand on, on his back and say, Jesus, thank you that you love Fab. Uh, please would you heal his back and show him just how much you care for him, how special he is to you. Amen. So like, definitely not a difficult prayer. Not a prayer that, you know, it's a prayer that any of us could pray, all right? So there was no... Kids could pray. A kid could pray. And so he, I finish, and he, he's like, doesn't quite know what to do. So I go, well, go on and test it out. Because um, here's the thing. We work off the philosophy. If you pray for something which is testable, test it, all right, in that moment. Particularly for healing, it's really helpful. So he starts doing all these stretches and testing, and his eyes are kind of like pretty processing something. He's an engineer at Boeing, so his engineer brain's going. And after about 45 seconds, he goes, it's better. He says, my back's better. And I said, I said isn't that cool? Jesus must really love you. And he goes, he goes you know, when, when your hand was on my back, that I felt this heat going up and down my spine. 
And of course, he's got no grid for this whatsoever. So I go, well, that's interesting because quite often we find that when we pray for healing, heat can be one of the signs that God's doing healing work. He goes, oh, all right, cool, that's amazing. So anyway, we go back into the game. And when the game finishes, everyone's like walking off the field at the end. And he's maybe, he's walking off maybe like 10, 10 yards behind me. So uh, he's perhaps where I am through to almost the back of the room there, say that banner or something like that. And um, so there's lots of guys all walking off. And he, he suddenly shouts, hey, Alex. And I turn around and like everyone's there. And he goes, hey, Alex, my back's still completely better. And so everyone wants to go, what do you mean, Alex's back? What do you mean your back's better? What happened? What do you mean? And then he goes... This is a whole gang of guys. He goes, my back started hurting and Alex did some Jesus juju on me <laughs> and now it's better. <laughs> so just as an aside, don't, you don't have to correct the theology at that point. He's just doing the best he can in that moment. It's good. But isn't that cool that God would do that in a moment? And I just want to encourage you that you can do the same thing. You could do the same thing because it's the same Holy Spirit who's in me. As is in you. But it all starts with that taking that risk, noticing and then having that boldness and taking the risk to do it rather than all of us, we certainly have, and probably you have ignored sometimes that prompt from, we call it the Holy Spirit digging the ribs, where you know the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something, you, you ignore him. So we've all been there, so you just apologise, you say, Lord, I'm sorry, just use me again next time. All right, what we want to do is we're going to do a few little listicles and then we want to make some time just to pray for you overview if that's all right so we won't do these super slow um so track with us the first list is things the holy spirit does and probably a lot of these you're aware of but we just list them out and there's a scripture just if, if you like to do a little bible study at some point so um we'll just alternate shall we all right so the holy spirit reminds us of our identity in christ next one he guarantees our inheritance in christ he reveals the thoughts wisdom and mind of christ he anoints us to perform miraculous demonstrations of the Spirit's power, like what we've just heard. Yeah. He helps us to pray, sometimes with, you know, groans and words that, you know, don't make sense in human language. He explains and reminds us of Scripture in particular circumstances. He stirs us to worship. He resources us to extend God's kingdom through our words and our works. He changes us. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, that mm -hmm. you're changing me. Uh, so we take on the family likeness we, and the, the fruit of the Spirit would be an example of that. We look more and more like Jesus. He equips, on, equips us to take on the family business, which is bringing the kingdom, extending the kingdom of God through the gifts of the Spirit. He creates, number 11, he creates unity in the family. So that Ephesians 4 text is like, it's like that's the one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism, that, that text. He gives us joy even in the midst of suffering, which I think is pretty miraculous. Mm. He empowers us to overflow with hope, joy, and peace. Number 14, he warms us into a generous and sacrificial people. Uh, number 15, he testifies about Jesus. Number 16, he convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And number 17, he restrains sin in the world, keeping the man of lawlessness at bay and there will be others too which we yeah. haven't thought of so that's just some stuff just to kind of remind you to help you you know if you wanted to soak in some of what the spirit does uh, in our lives that is a very loud noise wherever that's coming from um 
Okay. Uh, here's another quote from my man, Hans Urs von Balthasar. <laughs> I think that would be a good name to adopt into Korean culture as well. <laughs> Hans Urs von Balthasar Kim wow. or something like that oh would be... I think there's a kind of flow to that. You should, you should try that. We had a good conversation at breakfast about names, so whoever's on that table, you'd enjoy that. All right, he says, this, this is a great quote. The spirit then does not replace an absent Jesus, but on the contrary, renders him present in a new way. I read this... Tw- this it was actually a tweet from Pope Francis the other day, and I he tweeted you. He tweeted me personally. Wow. You are me. special. Yeah, I know. And so I thought that's actually I really like this, so I copied it down. So it says the Holy Spirit is our teacher, the interior maestro, who conducts each one of us and our walking together. He creates variety and unity. He is harmony itself. We entrust ourselves to his gentle and powerful guidance. But I love that thing, the interior maestro. It almost goes back to the craftsman that we talked about on Friday night about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the maestro. We didn't include that one. Maybe a gift of the Spirit is a maestro. It's cool. All right. Uh, if you turn the page to page four, here's what we thought we'd comment on some of these. Um, this is really comes, with, the heading is Marks of the Spirit's Presence. And really, what we want to do is try and just describe some of the ways you can kind of see the Spirit at work in people's lives. Um, Now, it's important to say before we do this that we don't chase these things. It's not like you have to do these things. We're not trying to manipulate people. Then also, these are not a sign of greater maturity or holiness or or blessing. So don't, don't view them like that. However... What, and of course, it's also a saying, many experiences of, of the Holy Spirit have no external expression. Mm-hmm. So again, you don't have to show something externally. However, these are things we quite often see with people when we pray for them, and, and lots of other believers see this, and you will recognize some of these. So we just thought we'd comment on a few of these because it might be helpful for you just as you step further into this spirit-empowered culture that you have. So the first one is this. You can just have this beautiful sense of calm. And it's like this calmness comes over a person. It's, you, can, you can just see them kind of relax almost in that moment. Um, even if emotions are quite high, but there's a calmness that comes. The next one is a weightiness. I don't know whether you've been sort of in a situation where you feel the presence of God come. And it's almost like this, you're wearing like an x-ray vest. It's like this weighted vest is on you. But it's not bad. It's just this, okay, I just feel this weight, which is why sometimes you almost sort of, you know, have to sit down or sometimes fall down or whatever because it's this weight comes upon you. Mm-hmm. Burning. It's like our hearts feel like they burn within us, but again, in a good way. It's, it's not a bad way. Or like the fire in your back or the heat in your back. Yeah, sort of the thing. heat that comes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just this particular feeling or presence in, in an individual or sometimes in a room as well that it comes. Next one is C. So uh, Paul saw that so- that someone had faith to be healed. So again, how do you see? Um, you know, when you're looking out or whatever, and you just see something on someone. So again, I think that this is a less common one, maybe. But just be aware that sometimes the Holy Spirit reveals something. You you just notice something. You see something almost like in the spiritual realms. Yeah, you see the Spirit resting on people. I think once you learn to spot that, you'll see that more often, perhaps. So what does it look like? Would you say? Um, I think it's some of these things that we're talking about here, but it just, like, you can see the Spirit just... Uh, it's, the, the, this is where human language fails us. It's with your spiritual eyes that you see, but you can just kind of sense the Spirit resting strongly on a person or a group of people. Um, 
perhaps just the way they're responding in that moment. Um, it's like God draws your attention to that person or to the situation. Sometimes if I'm praying with someone, I sense that I might say it out loud to them. Like I might say, just as we're praying, I can really see the Spirit resting on you. Because when I've had someone say that to me when they're praying for me, it's super encouraging. I'm like, oh, cracky, gosh, I'm doing something right here. You know, Jesus must love me after all. So, um, so I think that, that that one there is an interesting one. Um, number five is fragrance. Uh, I think there is a fragrance of Jesus that sometimes we smelt, and it's it's just a beautiful fragrance that that can come um, just rests on on people. Next one is countenance. So sometimes, I mean, if you feel the Holy Spirit, sometimes you just I guess because you're relaxing, like your your face relaxes, and sometimes it's like Moses' face shone when he'd been in the presence of God. Not every time, but there was this one particular time. So sometimes there's something that happens to your face. And again, when we tell people to pray with other people, we often tell them to keep their eyes open because you can see some of these happening. And you just see this 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 peace or this joy on someone's face and it's fascinating watching that that change happen i think that's where the idea of halos comes from you see that in art don't you um and, and i think it's this um almost like this spiritual glow comes over it's a, a radiance person. almost so radiance um so yeah that, that's interesting one uh, eyelids is number seven quite often uh, i've noticed that when you're praying someone's spirit wrestling people's eyelids just flutter very gently and not saying that has to happen all right. None of these have to happen. But it is something we've seen happen quite a lot. Okay, the next one is a common one, which probably a lot of you have done, is tears. Sometimes you have no explanation for why it happens, but when you encounter the presence of God, you find yourself weeping mm. because there's just something that comes over you, and it's just this normally this sweetness. Sometimes it's tears of you know, healing. God's doing some deep healing in you. Sometimes it's joy, tears of joy. So there's different reasons why the tears come, but tears is a pretty common one. Mm. So if, if that happens, allow it to happen. It's God working in you. Yeah, I think it's actually in that moment. I, if someone's got a lot of tear, a bit of snot going on, you know, I'll just give them, I'll put a tissue in their hand and say, here, you know, not because we're trying to stop it. And sometimes I might as well just affirm and say, it's fine, tears are good, don't worry about it, because people feel a bit embarrassed and awkward. So, but tears are a very common thing. By the way, if you need to jumpstart tears, don't forget the pinch I told you about yesterday, give them those digging nails into their arm, that always helps too. Uh-uh, All no. Right. Don't do that, all right. No. Okay, uh, number nine is shaking. So, it's quite often, again, not, not the majority, but you do see quite a lot of people slightly wobble in the presence of God or even slightly shake. Sometimes, um, yeah, there's just, just a kind of, and I think it ties into the weightiness thing. So just be aware of that. Uh, again, can. heat ties into that burning thing. of so, so a common thing when healing is taking place is there is heat in a particular part of the body or um, which takes us actually into number 11. Sometimes do, you do get 11. like a flushed appearance or whatever or perspiration or whatever it's this you know holy spirit burning i guess if the t uh, holy spirit came with tongues of fire in uh, pentecost acts 2 then i guess it would make sense you often have this sort of burning or this heat or flushed look number 12 is breathing sometimes people's breathing will change as you watch the spirit rest on them normally it becomes calmer and uh, more at ease Number 13, supernatural. It feels like something spiritual is going on. So sometimes maybe tongues will break out. Sometimes the prophetic does break out. Um, so something, you know, big breaks out. Often not, but sometimes yes. Number 14 is laughter. Sometimes as people experience the joy of the Lord or a release from oppression, they might, they might laugh. 
So again, don't be freaked out by that. But it's you know, it's good. Laughter is a good thing. It's a good gift from God. Um, the number fifteen is anything basically. So something immediately happens. So maybe you're praying and you're just coming before the Lord and asking Him to fill you afresh, and you're praying for a particular situation, and then something happens. It's like a coincidence where you get an immediate answer to that prayer, or the person you're praying for calls you, or a particular um, you're praying about that job and the job opening happens. But it's it's that coincidence that um, you've just been praying about after being filled with the spirit okay super quickly uh on page five in your notes how can i be filled daily with the holy spirit i think you would know this stuff but we'll just remind you uh first of all eagerly desire the holy spirit we've used the scripture before from first corinthians 14 one um just be really hungry for more of god and, 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 you know, like we talked about, being his presence, scripture, prayer, worship, all those sorts of things. It's interesting, actually, a quick story on that. A, a good friend of mine um, was around in the Jesus movement uh, times. In fact, raise your hand if you've seen the movie Jesus Revolution. Anybody seen that movie? It's an amazing Ooh, you ought to watch. movie. It's on Netflix now, The Jesus Revolution. It's, it's fun for us because it's in California, so we, we recognize some of the spots where it happened. But it, is, it stirs you. It is moving. The, you know, this move of God that happened uh, in the, what, 70s or whatever. End of the 60s, early 70s. So it's probably the last big revival in the U.S., so 50 years it's ago. It's a really good movie. But anyway, this friend of mine was around when that was going on. She was a teen. And I was saying, okay, you know, and then she, a really big church started as a result of all of that. And I was saying, okay, what were some of the catalysts? What were the, some of the differences, difference makers that you saw in that moment? And she said, people were just hungry. They would just gather together and they would just spend time in prayer, in worship together. And there's this hunger to really see God come and to see God move. And that was the thing, the desperation and the hunger that drove, uh, I, I guess the Holy Spirit loves us to be eager and to be hungry and then he will come. Uh, number two on the list is ask God. If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? James tells us you don't receive because you don't ask. I think this is about humility. We just need to be humble and ask God for him. Don't forget, you can't become full of the Holy Spirit when you are full of yourself. So we need to be humble and ask him. Uh, believe. So I think some, sometimes we hear people saying, oh, the, the Holy Spirit is not doing anything or whatever I, because I don't feel it. We, Sometimes we do feel things, but sometimes we don't. So we cannot just judge what God is doing by our feelings and by our emotions. So, um, so even if you're not sensing anything, trust and believe that if you've asked, God's going to come. Number four is obey. So that's, as we've talked about, obedience means responding to even the little things God's asked of us. Just the little tiny nudges and prompts throughout the day. And that's how you'll become more tuned to the Spirit. Community, we talked about this yesterday again about, you know, we need to be in community with others, accountable to each other, helping, you know, spur each other on. It's so much easier when you do this stuff with other believers. Number six is share. The Holy Spirit is not to be hoarded. It, Jesus talks about streams of living water flowing from us, rivers of living water flowing out from us. What we've found is that the more you seek opportunities to serve and be a blessing to others in the power of the Spirit, the more the Spirit flows through you. So it becomes this virtuous cycle. So if you want to see more of the Spirit work through you, try finding opportunities where you're stepping out in faith and serving God. And the last one is persevere. 
So if you think about any human relationship that you have, any your closest people around you, it's taken years to really develop that intimacy, that closeness of relationship. So assuming we're going to suddenly hear God's voice really clearly and suddenly be super close to him, we'll have those moments. But it takes time, it takes perseverance to sort of develop that sensitivity to him and how he works and how he operates. So give yourself grace. You know, don't, don't put too much expectation on yourself. But at the same time, let's press into this. All right. To wrap up this weekend, how about we take five or ten minutes and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. Would that be all right? Okay. So what I'm going to suggest to we do is, if let's stand together. Could you come and do guitar for us, please? Thank you. So let's stand together in the Lord's presence. We're going to ask, um, so just like, yeah, just stretch if you need to, get comfy. All right, so let's focus on on the Lord. If you if you're easily distracted, close your eyes. Uh, if you something I quite often do is I might hold out my hands. You don't have to, but it's just a way of me posturing myself physically and saying, "Lord, I'm open to you. Whatever you want to do in me, but just do whatever's helpful for you." say Holy Spirit come that simple prayer has been prayed for thousands of years ancient prayer so simple but so powerful so we say come afresh come with greater power we want more of your presence distracted at any point, just bring your attention back to Jesus. Just imagine yourself in the throne room worshipping him or imagine him standing before you now. Or imagine him, maybe he's standing next to you with an arm around your shoulder. I mean, but he's coming to you with love. He's coming to you with acceptance. He's coming to you with grace, with mercy, with kindness. He comes with challenge, but it's an invitational challenge. Within it, that challenge carries the seeds of its enablement. So allow him to come to you fresh now.